0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Alright, so those who are going to a little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to turn your Bibles or stay right there in your bulletin to Luke chapter 1. And then also uh, we're going to skip over to 3 to keep talking about John the Baptist this morning. Um, (laughs) It's like a race. (laughs) Uh, So this morning we're continuing our time in Luke, um, and as last week we found... That Luke is a very gifted historian. Um, and he's also an investigative journalist of an obsessive nature. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Luke is not only the longest book in the New Testament, but is also the, the most complete and orderly account of Jesus' life that we have. And, and this morning, Luke is reminding us before we even get out of the gates that the story of Jesus doesn't actually begin with Jesus, uh, something else happened first and i was thinking it's kind of like this you know in our world uh, that's increasingly dependent on the internet um for many the hopes and dreams of our little internet heart is fiber speed internet right just if you know if you can have that then everything's going to be okay imagine how many reruns of andy griffith or the office you could watch with fiber speed all the facebook you could consume with that um and so, so, several months ago, for those of you who live in town, maybe you got the mailer or, or maybe you saw the ad that C Spire fiber was coming to Greenwood, right? And, and so the promise was there that, that uh, y- y- we got that hope. It's coming one day. And, you know, promises are great, and that promises get us through the dark days. Uh, But there's a difference, isn't it, between the promise of having fiber speed internet and then actually have that fiber connected to your house where you have the fiber internet. Um, In in order for for that to happen, something first has to happen, right? The C-spire linemen or technicians have to come to town and prepare the way, uh, prepare the infrastructure for that high-speed internet. Uh, They get it all ready so that 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 fiber can become a reality in our homes, okay? When the same way, or a similar way, in the Old Testament, a promise was made. The the mailers went out, and everybody heard that, okay, one day, there's going to be this hero that's going to come and give us all all that we long for, salvation, give us us a way back to the Father. Um, And then, um, as, as Watson read this morning, literally the last prophetic word from God in the Old Testament was God's promise of the linemen, or, or the, the ceasefire technician, so to speak. The one who was going to come and not prepare the infrastructure, but prepare our hearts to, to come to the hero, the one to come. Well, it had been 400 years, as Lee mentioned, 400 years since that prophecy in Malachi, and, and, and at this point, And so, instead of starting with Jesus, Luke appropriately begins by detailing the arrival of the technician, the arrival of uh, the one to prepare us for the hero. And so, we're not going to read all the passage in Luke 1, but uh, just for kind of context of what happened, just keep this in mind before we read our passage. 400 years of silence, and then out of the clear blue sky, God sent an angel Uh, to this man named Zechariah. And and so think of Zechariah as an old country pastor uh, who along with his wife Elizabeth were nearing retirement age and they had given their lives to serving the Lord. Um, But they were also a a broken people. Uh, The Bible calls them that they were righteous before the Lord, which means they had some degree of faith to God. But they also knew pain because as you read, you found that they tried to have children and tried to have children. And they prayed to have a child, but they never had a child. And so they continued to pray for that. And look, in, in any family, in any culture, you know, infertility is, is heartbreaking. Um, but in the ancient Hebrew culture, not only was barrenness heartbreaking, but this is, it was considered a disgrace. And so no telling what people said about Elizabeth, um, about why she couldn't have kids and what was going on with them and why she's so messed up. And so they were righteous, but also extremely broken, extremely needy. And during this time, the the priest of Israel, a bunch of priests, but they were all divided up into kind of 24 divisions, of which we find here that that, uh, Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. And each division, aside from, you know, pastoring his little local synagogue, uh, each division took a a two-week shift every year serving in the temple. And, and aside from doing your regular priestly duties in the temple, there was also the possibility that you might get selected to be one of the ones to enter the holy place and to offer prayers on behalf of the people of God at the altar of incense. And, and that right there was the, the high point of any priest. Um, such a privilege to serve there. And uh, it was one of those things where it was selected by lots, uh, paper, rock, scissors, you know, picking a number. Um, and, and once you did it, you could never do it again. This, I mean this is truly a once-in-a lifetime opportunity. And so we see it's really interesting that in the fullness of time, in God's providence, the one time Zechariah was in there uh, was the one time the Lord came to speak. And so when Zechariah was selected to go and offer prayers for the people, this is no doubt the highest point of his entire career. But when he got into the holy place to pray, something happened. To the right of him was uh, the angel of Gabriel. The angel Gabriel appeared, and and, and Zachariah started shaking in his boots, which I, I imagine all of us would have. Um, you know, every time when we start talking about angels, I always think about what our little theologian Eli Gorman said a few years ago. Um, Y'all yeah, you know the last, in, in Christmas programs, we kind of have this division of labor thing, right? The, how the casting goes. All the cute little girls are the angels, and uh, the boys are either, you know, probably shepherds, right? That's kind of just our division of labor. Well, um, Eli said that he wanted to be an angel uh, because in the Bible, most all the angels you hear about are boys, right? And he's like, he yeah, has a good point. Why are all our girls always the angels? Um, if you live on Claiborne or drive that way, uh, you've probably noticed that one of our neighbors uh, has put together, or in the last few years, has put together a, nativ- a nativity scene on their front porch. And as you look at it, it's so interesting because I'm pretty sure they put an angel in there. And I'm pretty sure that the angel is a mannequin that you might find <laughs> like Victoria's Secrets. Have you, have you seen this? Y'all have seen this on, on Claiborne, right? And it, it's, it's striking because in the Bible... You don't get the sense that people are being struck by the cuteness or the beauty of angels. But rather, every time an angel shows up, you see them being struck by the fearsomeness of angels. That they are, they are scared to death of them. Because angels aren't cute. They're fierce messengers of God. Which means if an angel shows up in the Bible, you know something's about to go down. Like this, It's supernatural. It doesn't happen every day. Like this is very, very significant. So as Zechariah was praying on behalf of the people of God, Gabriel appeared and he said, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. That Zechariah's prayer for the deliverance of God's people and his prayer that they would have a child has been heard. But then Luke includes one of those embarrassing details that, that hint towards the truthfulness of this account. Because if we were making up the story, we wouldn't include this in here. The only, the only reason something like this is included is because, I mean, that's just the way it happened. So instead of this righteous priest taking God at his word and believing, Zechariah totally doubted God when he heard those words. He trusted the natural process of, of biology more so than God's sovereign power. He trusted the way of the world more so than the way of God. And as a result... Uh, he was struck mute, which is this really weird thing. And so it begs the question why? Because why would God do that? That sounds kind of mean. Uh, because every time, you know, God doesn't strike everybody mute who doubts Him. Well, there's a reason why. And it's because after Zechariah or that priest finished praying for all the people and offering the incense, after he finished that, all the people are gathered outside the holy place. And so he's to pray for the people and then turn around and to walk outside and to pronounce that priestly benediction over the people and that was their worship service for the day and um, part of the priestly blessing as we hear almost every Sunday is that God would give his people grace and peace but God was telling Zechariah that since he didn't believe how God would bring about grace and peace to his people then he wouldn't let Zechariah share it that if Zechariah didn't believe the blessing then he wasn't going to let Zechariah share the blessing and this is a if you will indulge me just a second, this is a really sobering call to to ministers, and to me, and, and to, to Josh. It's, you know, do we first? Like, do I actually believe the words that I'm saying right now? Um, do we believe the gospel that we share? And so this is a call out from the angel Gabriel for us not to go through the motions as religious professionals, and we just say the words, and we do the things, and collect the paycheck, and We just go on with our life. David Gooding explained it this way. He said, A priest who cannot believe the authoritative word of an angel of God, because he cannot accept the possibility of divine intervention to reverse the decay of nature, has lost faith in the basic principle of redemption. And without redemption, he has no gospel. Without a gospel, any blessing he pronounced upon the people would be the emptiest of professional formalities. And I hear that and I just say, ouch, because of the many, many churches that have leaders who is just a job, right? They just, they're good at talking, they can kind of get along with most people and so hey, it's just, it's just their job. And, and so I want to ask you, please, please, please pray for me and pray for Josh. Pray for any pastor that you may know that, um, that we wouldn't trust the world more than we trust the Word, uh, that we wouldn't go so caught up in the world and the way science works and the way all these things work that we forget the, the supernatural element, that we forget the spirit. And so pray that, um, that God would continue to awaken the wonder in us. And awaken the wonder in us. Okay. So if Zechariah could not believe the angel's gospel, it would be better that he didn't pretend to bless the people. And so he's, he's mute for a while, but he, of course he, he doesn't stay that way. Um, okay, so with all that said about Zechariah, like him, we're about to hear some of what the angel said. And then we're going to hear some of what John preached. And like Zechariah, we, we too have the opportunity to take God at his word this morning. Just take him at his word. So here we go. This is God's word, Luke 1, and then we'll skip down to Luke 3. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Then chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ateria, and Trachonitis, and Lysinius tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, Came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him (laughs) You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And John answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, Look, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to t- untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. To clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, as we read that, it's kind of weird that, like, that's good news. Uh, That sounds kind of hard. But, Lord, this morning, by your Spirit, come. Uh, And may you teach us the way of true joy and life. Uh, May these words of John be words of life to us. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. Now, I love that detail there at the beginning that the angel told Zechariah that John wasn't to drink alcohol. uh, Because uh, John was going to say some crazy stuff and do some crazy things. And and John was going to get all up in the religious people's crawl. And if he wasn't just stone sober, it would have been extremely, extremely tempting to kind of relegate him as the status of a babbling drunk. Oh, he's just the town drunk. Don't listen, to John. Because though the angel said that John would bring joy and gladness and he's going to bring rejoicing to many, his message was highly offensive. John the Baptist came with one mission and it was to pre- prepare us for Jesus. You know, to 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 remind us of the reality that we stand so far removed from God, that uh, that compared to His holiness, who are we? And His call to prepare us consists of one and one thing only. And His call wasn't like, "Hey, look, you you just go do you, and God loves you, and He loves you." But it was it was a call to repent. The reality that that true joy. That true life is, is birthed in repentance. And, and this is, it really wasn't anything new, right? It's just that we forget this. And, and this is why John Calvin in his institute said, He said, you know, to ourselves, if you're just asking me, to us, we always seem righteous. We always seem right. We're always doing the right thing. We're always, we, we think so well of ourselves. And, and we do that, John Calvin said, until we look to God and see His holiness. And see how he is that we stand utterly convinced of our folly and impurity. You know, next month, well, some of us will celebrate Halloween, I suppose. Um, You know, Halloween, y'all know, like Halloween's probably the most Christian of all uh, holidays because Halloween is just a shortening of All Hallows Eve. Uh, which if you follow a more traditional church calendar, it's the day before All Saints Day, which is November 1st. So it was always All Hallows Eve is October 31st. And on All Hallows Eve, October 31st, 1517, I know we all know this, a German monk uh, named Martin Luther nailed up 95 theses or 95 propositions that he wanted uh, people to think about and discuss. And uh, he had a lot to say in those 95 theses about church abuse, about authority, but do you remember how it began? Like his very, very first thesis that he posted up there, He said, "Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, by saying Repent," He willed that the entire life of believers to be one of repentance." Um, in, in other words, if there's one thing that marks a believer, it's not that you're nice. It's not that you're kind. It may not even be that you're loving, though those are all important things. If there's one thing that marks a true believer, it is repentance. Someone who is seen as someone who sees their sin, has broken over their sin, and repents of that. And that's such a rare thing today. Um, and if you look through the Bible, or, or really talk to any like true believer, we find that repentance is ground zero of grace that, that, that is the, the defining catalyst for change. Remember, for Job, it was, God, I'd heard about you, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. For, for Daniel, it wasn't him killing Goliath. It wasn't him bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and dancing before the Ark. No, the moment of transformation in his life was really the lowest part of his life. It was his repentance in Psalm 51. And we could go on and on about Peter and um, go on and on about so many people. Um, you know, when John showed up, he had one sermon. And it was repent for the forgiveness of your sin, which begs the question: Then, doesn't it, what What is repentance? All right, what is it? And we've talked about this several times, um, but we get a clear picture of what it means up in chapter one, verse sixteen, where the angel the angel tells us what he's going to be about. The angel said that John would turn many away from their sin would turn many to the Lord, that he would cause fathers to turn back to their children. And, and you know, we, we look, that's not news to us. We've probably heard that. Repentance means to turn. It's to do a 180, kind of go the other direction. But depending on what we turn to it makes all the difference in the world. Because okay? there's a huge part of us that can think, that well I need to turn from what I'm doing wrong and and turn to doing things that are right, right? It's it's we, we think that we need to that repentance means to replace one deed, okay, not, not do that, with another deed, right? Replace disobedience with obedience. And all the while we totally miss what repentance is because as we we've said, that's not repentance, by the way. Uh, that is penance. Um, that's one of the things that Martin Luther railed against. Um, that's penance. And that's probably the number one reason why so many so-called Christians have no joy and are bitter and miserable. That's why you meet somebody who says they're a Christian. You're like, whoa, are you really a Christian? <laughs> uh, it's penance. And so like, that is not repentance. That is religion is what that is. All right, so what is repentance then? Don't miss this. That word in the Aramaic, repent, it just means to return home. Repentance means returning home. This is the prodigal son, returning home. It, it's, it's to return back to the one from whom we have wandered. And so it's not saying, all right, I'm going to stop this sin and I'm going to start doing this good thing. No, it, it's, it's, all right, I'm in sin and it's turning to God. Just straight line to God returning to Jesus, saying, look, n- n- nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It- it's returning to God, knowing that all the blood of bulls and goats and doing great things cannot give you what you need. That it, it is Jesus or bust. Because it's only in Jesus do we find the grace of forgiveness to-, to bring us out of that. And so John's baptism was pointing us to this baptism that we have in Christ. And, and back then, what he was doing, it was super common to have these Um, ceremonial washings, I suppose, because back then, if you were a Gentile who was converting into Judaism, it wasn't like today when you want to join Westminster and you kind of meet with the elders, answer a couple of questions, and and you're in. Like back then, if you wanted to join their church, well, you had to be circumcised, which that was a big deal. Then you had to have this ceremonial washing where they like took you and they washed all the Gentile off of you. It It was a ceremonial thing. But what made John's message different was he wasn't just targeting Gentiles or, or the outsiders. No, like he even targeted the Jew, like the the super insiders, the Jewish church leaders. In, in other words, he didn't say, "Look, you need to repent of your Gentileness. You need to repent of whatever you know that little thing that you got going on. You need to repent of who you are ethnically. You need to repent of who you're, you know your skin color, whatever it was that they would have said." And he just said, no, no, like, none of that's the problem. You need to repent of your sin. Your sin is what keeps you removed from God. And so he said, look, you can't rest in the fact that your grandparents were founding members of the church. You can't bank on being a cultural Christian. John says, look, don't call yourself a child of of Abraham. Don't bank in that because like God could even raise up from these stones his children. He that, that doesn't mean anything. What matters is that you see that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You have wandered from the home from which you were created. And to repent means to see my sin, to confess that sin as we turn to God and go back home. And so, apart from that, we have no shot, no hope. And so this whole, like, you know, mountains being knocked down and valleys being raised up, he's saying that those of us who are puffed up with religious pride, the gospel is going to come through like a sledgehammer and graciously smash you to bits and show you your utmost need of Jesus. And for those of us who are in the pits, the gospel comes in and raises us up to see that there is one who can actually meet your need, that he can actually take your shame. And see, y'all, repentance is the only road back home. Confession, seeking life in him alone. And please know, this isn't like a once-and-done type thing. Some of us think that, repent, okay, I'll repent once in my life. I'm good. But that's salvation. You know, Jesus saves you once and for all, and you are His. But repentance is, isn't a once-and-done type, type thing. Um, and so I want to encourage you, don't live off of old capital when it comes to repentance. Like, What would it be like if we at our church... What if we saw some of our older members actually repent of sin? Um, Wouldn't that be so odd? What would it be like to be part of a group of of believers that actually repent? Don't live off Old capital, but we we return today, and we return this afternoon, and we return tonight, because we're all so prone to wander. And then notice how John closes. (laughs) I love this. He says, having gone to God with our sin and found forgiveness in God, he said, then God actually does something with our repentance. And this is how that change happens. He says he grows faith in us. That, that our, he grows fruit. Fruit comes through this repentance. So John calls us to bear fruits in keeping. There's that continual uh, of with repentance, almost like you keep your yard or you keep your farm. You, we, we keep this repentance going. Well, here's what he means. There's something about repenting of sin and turning to Jesus that resets us back to the Jesus way. that, that plucks us out of our the direction we're going and puts us back on the old path that God has created for human flourishing uh, for us to thrive in. And repentance, repentance does that. Um, but John tells us that um, when it comes, it's not what we would expect. We come, we repent in, to the Lord. And notice, he doesn't say anything about, All right, what do you need to do? Well, you need to go to the temple. You need to, you need to memorize your Bible. You need to pray more. He doesn't say any of those obvious things, which, of course, anybody who loves the Lord, loves grace, that's going to be evident in your life. But what he says is like way more everyday life. He says, oh, you know, repentance, a life of repentance changes our households. That a life of repentance actually changes our marriage. It transforms marriage dynamics. He he singles dads out. He says it causes dads to wake up to their parental and even spiritual responsibilities. Oh, I have a child. And oh, I'm responsible for that child. Um, It turns the fathers towards their children. And then all these sinners ran up to John and they said, Okay, we've repented to God. Uh, What do we do now? And John said, Look, it's simple. He said, Look, if you have extra... Share with somebody who doesn't. And as we've said many times, if, if you are rich or if you are you know, wealthier, like, praise God, don't, don't feel guilty, okay? Like, great. Uh, but you, you've been given an awesome opportunity to give like only wealthy people can give and be generous like only people who have more than they need can be generous. Um, he says, if you have a job, and just do it well. You know, we we could add if you have a job, just do it. Seek to do it for God's glory. That's the fruit of repentance. And one of the wonderful things about our Creator is that there is no sacred secular divide. You know, that's kind of like a human concept that there's sacred things and there's secular things. Like, look, the Bible says if your work is moral and legal, then uh, it's sacred. Honor God with your work. That's the fruit. You know, the life of repentance isn't like it's not complicated. When it comes to our sin, to our shame, Jesus says, humble yourself. Like, really be honest. Be honest. Humble yourself and he will exalt you. That sin that you're so terrified to leave behind, Jesus says, repent and I will show you real life. I will show you true joy. Um, If you are an anemic Christian, repent. That's what the cross was about. Well, as we end this morning, um, I want to invite us to do just that, okay? Uh, to leave our sin, to forsake it, and to go home to Jesus. And may it may not just be something that we go through. And, and so if you have your bulletin, we all have an opportunity to respond by like taking God at His word. That, that God can actually come and cleanse us of our sin, release us of our shame, and we can move forward in, in life. And so if you feel led, I want to invite you to join me in praying this corporate prayer of confession. And then like we typically do, we'll take a few moments of silent confession. I just want to encourage you, like, be honest. Repent. Go home to the Lord. So let's, let's pray this prayer together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Father, forgive me, forgive us for just going through the motions and and yet having doubts. So Lord, we ask that you would come and cause us not to be like Zachariah. Um, Lord, cause us to take you at your word that you promise to give us life. You promise to forgive our sins. You promise to bring us back to God. So help us to live that out, Lord. Give us faith. And we ask this in Christ, amen. If you're trusting in Jesus, hear the assurance of pardon from 1 John 1, 4 through 7. It says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, While we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all our sin. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel, and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.